Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. Beautiful day out there. Beautiful day Beautiful out day there. Beautiful day out there. Beautiful day out there. Yeah. And um, draft day. Is it is it the first round today? Okay, first, first round, round coming round later today, today yeah. and the orders no pick for the orders, so quiet for us. Um, I'll take that, Bruce. Where were the orders going to draft? Twenty fifth, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they instead they got Matthias Ekholm for three more years. I think I mm-hmm. would take Matthias Ekholm um, and a chance to win the Stanley Cup, like because I think he's such a fantastic hockey player. Um, and exactly what the Oilers needed. First, uh, today we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about the discontent of Oiler fans over what seems to be um, developing with the Oilers uh, in terms of this summer's trade and free agency period. We'll talk with. Uh, we'll talk about um, who the Oilers are not going to be able to sign, who the Oilers probably won't buy out and will buy out. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll talk about what's happening in some other NHL cities, Calgary, L.A., Winnipeg, Colorado. Let's start off, though, with the discontent of the mob. Bruce, what are you seeing on social media in terms of Oilers fans? Boy, uh, a whole lot of, boy, the Oilers are sitting around twiddling their thumbs doing nothing. Holland must be asleep on vacation watching, uh, uh, you know, TV doing a 14-hour beef brisket somebody suggested while doing nothing while while uh, while smoking it. Yeah, no, I think this was kind of more of a pro-Holland person saying, I ran oh. into Holland at the shop and he was picking up a big beef brisket and he said, I got nothing else to do, so I might as well spend 14 hours smoking this brisket. I think he was sort of fighting back at people who said because there's no moves that meant Holland was actually not picking up the phone or talking to anybody. He's just sitting there with a thumb up his butt, just as like he was last trade deadline before the Ekholm trade. I say, let's wait until the deadline, you know, or the 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 the, the opportunity window closes before we say he's done nothing. and as it yeah. stands, I mean, he's 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 severely restricted in what he can do, and and in part, it's uh, in large part, it's a design of his own making, in that all of his con- none of his big money contracts expired this summer, none, not one. There's 13 of them on the books for two and a half million or higher, and every single one of them uh, came into this summer with already you know locked up for next season, so. That uh, that crimps his style. Uh, the top seven of those having no move clauses crimps his style. But I'm not sure who in the hell in the top seven he would move. Right? It's not like he's got Cal Peterson. Well, it's not like he's got a contract that can be shipped out. He does have a Cal Peterson type contract, but I don't think it can be shipped out. And not really, because Cal Peterson was for two years left on mm-hmm. his deal, right? Jack Campbell. Yes. Yes. With four. That's yes. a significant. Big- Huge difference. Huge difference. It's double. It's like trading it's double, two of them. Double, double the trouble. Mm-hmm. So you so. know the orders have Connor McDavid at twelve point five million. Anyone complaining about that? Nope. Leon Draisaitl eight point five. Ekholm mm-hmm. six. Hyman yep. five point five. Kane and Nuge five point one. Are people complaining about those deals? Are they on Earth at nine point two five? Is anybody complaining about that, David? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jack Campbell at five million. So you yeah. know what? A couple of their big money deals are iffy. Let's mm-hmm. let's put it that yeah. way. That's but a they're fair locked comment. up. They're locked but up. They're what can done. You do? And yeah. and that's what's going to happen when you you know. And listen, I just think when the Oilers change their defensive scheme and and move away from their you know frankly erratic defensive scheme that they adopted last year to more of a a zone defense, I think Darnell Nurse is going to have his best season. And I think the Oilers are going to do that. We'll get into that in a second, though. But Bruce, they, you can only have, the fact of the matter is this, you can only have so many players or, who earn more than um, the league hour, average salary of whatever it is, $3.2 million. You can only have so many of those guys. And the owners have a number of players at the really high end. Yep. And so, it, and COVID hit, it crushed the NHL's, you know, the lockout hit, it crushed the NHL's 
um, ability to make more money for a few mm -hmm. years, they're still digging out of that hole. The, the salary cap has gone up just marginally. So this has hurt the Oilers. And um, definitely, Holland has done, a, I think, a reasonable job. He's become increasingly blunt. <laughs> he should have probably been blunter earlier on saying, listen, to, in, if you wanted to manage fan expectations, which isn't really his job, his job is to improve the team. But if he had wanted to manage fan expectations, he would have been more explicit right at the end of the season. Like, we're not going to be big game hunting this summer. We're going to be waiting till the trade deadline. Get that message out a bit earlier. Now, he's gotten it out, though, clearly and loudly and explicitly, um, increasingly explicitly in recent days that that's the plan. Yep. And, you know... It's not a crazy plan. There's a lot. There's a lot to be said for this plan, especially for a team up against the cap. It's in fact the only real plan. I mean, you could go on this. I guess people want the orders to go on this mass spree of buyouts, not only buying out or moving out Kyler Yamamoto, but moving out Cody Cece, Warren Fogle, and Brett Kulak. Mm. Um, all of those players, because it would essentially probably take moving up pretty much all of them to have the money to bring in another $5 million man. Like it, it's, it would be close to that. At least, at least three out of the four mm. might get you there. But even then you're, you're, you'd be struggling, I think, to bring in another really expensive player. So for, for, for fans hoping for that kind of mm. move to be made, um, now people was, will say, well, what's the I call them trade? What about Brett Pesci? You know, you could get him for four million for one year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But did the Oilers have the assets? You know, I guess that would take at least it's going to take a first pick, and you'd have to move out CC and Fogle, mm -hmm. and then you have to replace. Oh, Fogle. You, you trade CC and Fogle for Pesci, Dundee. Well, yeah. <laughs> the other GM just has to go along with it, you know. But that's easily done. And it's becoming increasingly clear it's hard to move salary. It's not that easy. <sighs> and uh, you Some know, point around and say all these GMs are dumping cap except for the Oilers, and there's certainly cap being dumped out there. But yeah, the I mean the guys we're talking about are the guys that could potentially be dumped, and that's yeah. the three million dollar guys, and they all have one to two to three years in the case of Kulak left uh, on their deal. So if you're going to dump them, you know, uh, good luck with that. And then you got to replace them. You know, if the owners did it, Bruce, I wouldn't be against them doing it. Like, I'm not saying mm -hmm. these are these are crazy suggestions and people making them. Like, you could dump Fogel and and probably find a player earning a million dollars who, you know, Fogel actually played really well in the second half of the year. But you could probably get a player who's a reasonable facsimile thereof. Yep. You could put Dylan Holloway in that spot, get a very similar player, probably to Warren Fogel. I mean, you could trade CeCe and play Philip Broberg instead. And that might actually make a lot of sense. It's risky, but I, 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 if they did that, I would think, well, that's that's probably not a bad idea. So I'm not saying that people pushing for these things are, uh, they're wrong. They're not wrong. There's a real argument to be made that that's the right path to make. But it, they, they are they do come with risk when you're moving out veteran defensemen especially it's hard to replace it can be really hard to replace find decent def, um veteran defensemen who can get the job done if if there was one lesson of the decade of darkness to me that's it how hard it is to find solid nhl hockey players they they're not and cody cc is that and warren fogel is that and so is brett kulak so yep, agreed um, you replace you if you move them out, you replace them for uh, you still have to pay a million bucks to replace them, and you probably downgrade on the ice. And if you're willing to do that two or three times, and then uh, of course, in behind there, we have the people saying, Let's lock up Bouchard now to an eight year deal, and that's clearly impossible. And yeah. it's you know, it's just the lay of the land, and uh, Stoffer, he's saying don't expect much, and he's getting ripped. And so, anyway, it's just the uh, people seeing big moves elsewhere. And, I mean, uh, you know, there was one where uh, 
Colorado moved out Alex Newhook for two draft picks, and then they turned around and traded one of the picks for uh, Ross Colton. And depending on your view of the players, you can say, well, they upgraded, and I'm not quite sure exactly how it impacted their their salary, but, you know, they, they were able to to move out that guy. Well, who's Alex Newhook for the orders? Well, is it Dylan Holloway or is it... Uh, is it, um, uh, you know, I mean, who is that guy? But uh, you would even be able to, to move. He's Connor Yamamoto. Yeah, well, Yamamoto had 1.64 points. First this year, Connor Yamamoto had 1.64 points per 60. Mm-hmm. Even strength. So yeah. did Alex Newhook. Yeah, okay. Um, so did Ross Colton a little bit less than that. And so did Tyler Toffoli a little bit less than that. Right. Like in, in wow. some ways, in Ryan, so did Ryan Johansson a little bit less mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Colorado is making some moves here. They brought in Johansson and Colton, for instance. And and Colton mm-hmm. may be a superior defensive player. I'm not sure, but I don't think Johansson is. And um, is it really going to improve them? I mean, the owners could do things. They could bring yeah. it. They could have found maybe found a way to, to acquire uh, Taylor Hall. Um, moved out all that salary and, and brought in Taylor Hall, but is is it better to do that or or see if Dylan Holloway can replicate what Taylor Hall did? You know, Dylan Holloway's been a pro now um, for about a year and a half. He's a first pick. He's got all kinds of talent. Philip Broberg does. the The one reason I, I the one reason I'm open to um, the thought of maybe buying out a Kulak or not buying up, but trading a Kulak or a CC is I do think Philip Broberg might really benefit from what I call the Bush boost. Mm-hmm. The same thing that happened to Evan Bouchard when Tyson Berry was moved out. You have a player who's, I think, clearly ready for more ice time, certainly ready for third pairing minutes, Philip Broberg, just no doubt about it. In my mind, he could handle third pairing minutes and do well. He already did that last year with Evan Bouchard. He He's a big agile guy. Who's a really solid defender. I think in some ways he might be, he might already be, other than Ekholm, like the best one-on-one defender. Like he just, guys don't get around Philip Broberg easily. And um, so I could see there is a strong argument for moving out of Kulak or Assisi and putting Philip Broberg in their spot and using that cap space. But, you know, is there an obviously better player? I guess let's talk about it, Bruce, because the latest thing to break is the orders aren't probably going to have enough money for Clem Costin. So if you moved out, let's say, Kulak or Cece or both, you might have then the money to pay um, clean cost and the money you want. So it sounds like $2 million a year for two years or something like that. What do you think of the cost of this? Well, I'm not totally shocked. I mean, all at the beginning of the summer, I listed the priorities of uh, of Holland like internally. I look in, in at the team. What do you do with the guys you got now to, to, to create – an environment where you can, you know, uh, make the best team possible. And the three guys that I listed as the top three priorities were all three of the expiring RFAs, Evan Bouchard, Ryan McLeod, Klim Costin, in that order, no question. And Costin, at $750,000 last year, NHL minimum, darn right he expects a raise and he should get a raise. And this is the problem when you have all of your big money contracts with term. Uh, so nothing's turning over to create cap space. And then you got these guys bubbling under with their value contracts, all three of those guys for starters, all expiring and all have realistic expectations of a raise. Well, where do you get the money from for the raise? And this is, uh, you know, the headache that that Holland faces. And in the case of Klim Costin, it's a double whammy. You know, if they decide, no, we can't afford his ask, we have to go out and get another player. Well, you're going to get another player. If you get another player at NHL minimum, even that's costing you 25000 more than it did last year. And you're not going to be likely to find an NHL minimum type guy who's going to make the kind of impact that Tim Costin did last year. So they're going to they're going to lose on that exchange. And it's just... Uh, you know, it's the nature of the beast. When, you know, when your team succeeds, um, players expect more money. You see uh, champions clearing out players all the time. Well, the orders aren't obviously quite there yet. And the players are clearing out might 
not all be the players they'd want to clear out, but it's just, you know, when does the contract expire? And if they'd had one or two of their bigger contracts that came due this summer, then then they got room to maneuver. But the way things stand now, they got all the big contracts back. And last year at the end of the year, they had literally zero dollars in cap space. And you got three young guys plus a couple other guys probably that are looking for raises. And anybody else who can be replaced uh, on an expiring contract has such a small contract in the first place that whether you bring that guy back or another guy back in his place, there's no real cap savings to be realized. I mean, the most they could save is on Matthias Janmark, either letting him go or signing him for a new lower contract. And the most they could save there is $475,000. Well, that's nice and it, you know, it helps, but that would be, uh, first of all, they won't do that and keep Janmark. And secondly, it's chump change when you're looking at the amount of raises looking looked for for guys like uh, Evan Bouchard. I'm just trying to find uh, when Kurt Levins, our cult of hockey colleague, wrote a piece where he talked about some issues that Costin was having. Just kind of, there was questions about him, about yep. his commitment. Do you recall that? It was in a Nine oh. Things piece. Uh, I don't recall the specifics. I've heard a couple things about Costin, but... Uh, all I judge is what I see on the ice, but I, what I did see on the ice was an erratic player who could have, you know, he had a lot of sort of no-impact games, and then he had quite a few high-impact games. <clears throat> At the price he was getting paid, that was good return. You know, he had a lot, a lot, a lot of a lot of good nights, and uh, uh, that was uh, uh, he, he was like a. A cheaper, better, younger Zach Cassian to my eye last year. And erratic goes with the territory. I just wonder if erratic is something they want to pay for. And I wonder if that's part of the equation. Yeah, um, maybe. It's hard to believe. Yeah. I don't I don't begrudge a player trying to get more money. It's hard to believe he would be considering the KHL. Like Russia is a mess right now. Mm-hmm. They just they have actually a, a real insurrection yeah. Yeah. Uh, going on. Well, I um, one, <laughs> they had one. Well, who knows what's happening? We don't yeah, they, know. Tanks moving to Moscow. Anyway, yeah. they listen. It's he's he's apparently saying KHL KHL um, in terms of negotiation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how serious that is. I mean, he's he's a player who's invested seriously in building a career in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, since yeah. he was a very young guy, yep. and um, we'll see uh, how real that is. I I think there's a chance. Like this could just be hard negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, but Holland seems to be someone who doesn't play games in the media. When he says he's not going to bring in a top four million dollar year player this year, I, he just tells the truth. He te- he tends to, word. I say he tends to to say exactly what he's going to do. It's what he's always done. And so why would he change? He just, it just seems to be his nature. He's not like Mr. Machiavellian sneak artist. He's, he's um, upfront about his intentions. And so this with, with cost and yeah, there is some hard negotiating going mm-hmm. on here, but it does sound like mm-hmm. they're not close. And Hall and right. himself said on the orders. Now there are ways apart earlier this week. So I and just here, doesn't sound like it's going to happen. And here's the issue. And this is what you're starting to see a little bit more of with guys like this. Um, when the Oilers got Josh Archibald from uh, from Phoenix, or the Arizona by then, and it was a deal where he played a good year at a million dollars, and he was uh, and he had his arbitration rights. And Phoenix, they weren't getting anywhere in negotiations, and they knew if they issued him a, a qualifying offer. They lost the arbitration. They couldn't walk away from it. The only ones you can walk away are like real big ones, close to $5 million. And if they lose that arbitration case, uh, they're just forced to pay whatever it is. So sometimes you see a guy like a Josh Archibald, or I'm sure I could cite 10 better examples if I thought about it for a minute, of teams that are so fearful of the arbitration that they just simply don't qualify the guy and he just walks on to uh, unrestricted free agency status. Because the minute you you give him that qualifying offer, you've lost control of that negotiation, and it's in the hands, ultimately, of the, of the arbitrator. 
And if the arbitrator comes to the conclusion, well, I agree with Costin, or I mostly agree with him, and I think he's worth, you know, 1.8 million or whatever, uh, they're stuck with it. So they may just choose to walk away because, not because they don't like the player, but they just don't like the potential uh, of an arbitration case. And to me, actually, some of the very best bargains on the UFA market every summer are the younger ones, uh, which are the guys that aren't qualified, many of them for that reason, and also the group six free agents that haven't quite got their 80 NHL games that walk away from their old team at age 25. And sometimes you find good players there as well. And those are going to be the aisles that Holland's going to have to shop in when we get to free agency. But before that happens, he has to, you know, what is it, the 30th uh, Friday at 4 p.m.? 4 p.m.? 3 p.m.? Our time to make the decision on uh, whether to issue a qualifying offer to cost. And it sounds like he has already issued them to McLeod and Bouchard. And almost certainly not to cost, and he's holding back on making that because as soon as he makes a qualifying offer, the whole negotiation changes. So he's waiting until that deadline. And the tea leaves suggest that that deadline will come and go, and Tim Costin will become a free agent on uh, Saturday morning. I'd hate to see Costin go. Yeah, I mean, I the like guy that. was big, physical, will fight. Like, he, mm. he was Zach Cassian in his prime, which was a fairly useful hockey player for a few years. So, Costin mm. on a two-year deal, I I would mm. like to see it. I hope they can keep him. And to me, he's more of a priority than, for instance, even Nick Bugstad. I just think what Costin brings, um, I mean, the owners were down in the dumps. Evander Kane's out, injured. Costin just stepped in there and provided that power forward presence. Yep. And I, I would prioritize him over Bukestad in terms of a signing. Um, I don't know if the Oilers would, but... Um, well, Costin played, what did he play, 57 games? And he yeah. had uh, uh, double-digit goals, double-digit assists, double-digit plus. Uh, part of that was, I think, good saves High rate of points him. scoring. Yeah, 20, 21 points in 57 games, none of them on the power play. And he led the Oilers, led the Oilers in playing just 57 games in hits, fights, and penalty minutes. And if you're the group that doesn't value any of that stuff, then then get rid of them and let's bring in some, you know, Patrick O'Sullivan at $750,000. If you're of the sort that thinks you need to have some of that somewhere on your team, Costin provided a tremendous breadth of value for $750,000. That's going to be hard to replace. I'd really like him back, honestly. Like, I like this player. And and um, what Kurt wrote was, I just found it, and I think this is what I was looking for. It's actually quite a mild comment. Mm-hmm. It was in May 20, uh, March 26th. Mm-hmm. He says, Clean uh, Costin has been a little bit hot and cold the last while. I believe Costin at his best can really help this franchise now and into the future. But whatever the root of his, but wherever the root of his inconsistency lies, one hopes Costin realizes the opportunity he has in Edmonton, and makes the most of it. He has been decent in the last two games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the playoffs, he didn't get much ice time. It was weird because he was such an effective player in the playoffs. But he was he injured? Like I, they just didn't seem to trust him. If nothing else, but maybe he was hurt. I just I like the player. I think he's he just adds. He's he adds a lot when he's on the ice. He's solid mm-hmm. enough defensively. He's got some real, he's got a decent shot. Um, you know, you don't want to overpay for him. But uh, maybe, I'm what I'm hoping is, Bruce, this is just a hard negotiation to get him down to mm-hmm. a reasonable number. Even if it's like $1.5 over two years, I, I mm-hmm. think he's worth trying at that number for a couple years based on what I saw this past year, especially in the playoffs. Um, the other name we've heard a lot about is Connor Brown, mm-hmm. and there was a, there was a lot of happy talk on from insiders early on that the Oilers might sign this player. People like Bob Stoffer, Elliot Friedman brought it up. Connor Brown himself appeared with Lou Gazdick on a podcast and talked glowingly about the idea of playing with Connor McDavid before saying like, "Well, he doesn't know what's going to happen." Um, <laughs> So, you know, he, so Connor Brown, I think, is made of course about, he'd love to play with Connor McDavid, you know. Yeah. Wouldn't. 
But when it gets down to talking turkey and real dollars, if there's a team out there that's willing to offer him term and dollars uh, versus an Oilers team that can offer him a one-year bonus-laden deal with not many dollars up front, but a chance to, you know, really up his status. You know, I mean, in a perfect world, he signs that deal. He comes into Edmonton, scores 40 goals. And then next year, he's back on the market, and either the Oilers re-sign him to a huge raise, which they probably still won't be able to do, or some other team snaps in, comes in and snaps him up. And he's worth more because he had the 40-goal season. Now, that's the perfect world. But if I'm his agent, some team's offering three by three, I'm thinking, boy, you got to look hard at that at 30 years old or whatever he is coming yeah, off a major, a major injury. Knee injury. Like, like yeah. yeah, like it's just like... He could make he could if he can get a deal that pays him like th- three million a year over four seasons. How could you turn that down over a bonus laden contract for one year? And and Holland seemed to be like the, he he addressed the idea of of paying that kind of bonus laden contract himself, and he didn't seem too keen. Like it's not like people would think, well, okay, and and we, we batted around this idea of you know mm-hmm. you give him two or three million dollars in bonuses and it's a way of taking advantage of the cap rise that's supposed to happen next season but if the order signed bouchard and mcleod to one-year deals they're going to need that money for bouchard and mcleod next year oh, there's no kidding like to play to pay that bonus money they can't yeah. you, you really can't do it mm-hmm. if you want to keep if you have young players mm-hmm. Hall, let's say holloway and broberg and bouchard and mcleod or lavoie all develop you want to keep those players yeah. And you can't do it if you've signed too many veteran players on big, big contracts. So yeah. um, it's just, yeah. Connor, it's a nice idea. It's a very nice mm-hmm. thought. But How it does you can squeeze it. through this year and kind of spread out, because next year the cap is expected to go up 5 million five. compared to this year's 1 million. But if you if you lay off 2.5 million, say, on Connor Brown, on bonuses that he achieves, then next year you've got a $5 million cap fund. You've already spent half of it. It's already gone. Yeah. And you don't have the player. You know, he's his contract's expired, or, you know, so whatever he... And if you've won the Stanley Cup in the intervening year, well, you just say, well, that was worth it, I guess. But if you haven't, well, we're here again next year talking like we are right now. <laughs> so winter fans, Bruce, and, and I don't... Like their their eyes are focused on the next shiny thing. And it's always talk always. about this player, that player, this player, that player. And and I get it. Like for a long time, the Oilers did really need to bring in more good players. I think Matias Akholm was the last kind of step in that in terms of both what the cap can afford and what the team needs. They They've got a top four defense now on this team, I think. You know, between Ekholm, Nurse, Bouchard, that's definitely three out of four. And then they have solid competition for the next spot between Kulak, Cece, and, and Broberg. So they've got five forwards at the very top of the roster who are definitely top six. And then there's competition for, for the next one, for the for that role. You know, if they had signed Cost and he'd be competing, but Dylan Holloway um, should be competing for that job, Warren Fogle compete for that job. Um, Raphael Lavoie could compete for that job. There is some players who could step mm-hmm. up. There's yeah. just not, there, there's no room for a shiny thing. And Bruce, yeah. th- it's not what they need. What mm-hmm. the, the Oilers improvement this, this coming year, the coaches have already identified it and talked about it. They've got to get better on defense. And to do that, some players who have never been that good on defense have got to been have got to be really good. Connor McDavid has already taken this step. Connor McDavid was really good on defense in the playoffs, but but Darnell Nurse wasn't, and Leon Drysaddle wasn't, and Evander Kane and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Zach Hyman weren't. Those players have all got to become much more effective and disciplined on defense. And the other, and the improvement on defense isn't just going to come from that, though. It's going to come when with Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson looking over the game tapes of L.A. and Las Vegas and seeing those teams constantly got back into the games because the Oilers had a had a had a weak and erratic Lapse. defense system mm-hmm. system that didn't work. 
they were constantly leaving the front of the net open. They were constantly, I don't want to see a system for the Oilers defense next year, Bruce, where they don't have a defenseman in front of the net all the time, at least one defenseman all the time in their own zone. LA and, and Vegas found a way to do it. And in doing so, they, they limited the Oilers offense. The Oilers, they were not doing that. They were running their defensemen, you know, shadowing players all over the ice. It was a mess in the end, and it cost them the series. It almost cost them against L.A., and it cost them against Vegas. It was the reason those teams were constantly finding a way to get back in def- in, into games because they were taking advantage of the Oilers' system. I actually think the Oilers have the players, but you can't ask players like McDavid was good enough to thrive in this in the man-on-man system that they played. Dreisaitl and, and Nurse... They just, that's, it's not, reading the game in that way isn't their forte on defense. They need a simpler defensive system where you park the bus, where you pack it in in the defensive slot, where you have your best defenders in the defensive slot. That's going to make the difference for the Edmonton Oilers this coming year. Not bringing in another forward who's a big attacker, for instance, like Taylor Hall, who you got to have then buy into that defensive system as well, which could happen. But the Oilers have the offensive talent. They've got the best offense in the NHL by far. They need to play solid defense, and they didn't like <coughs> They didn't actually come close to playing solid defense, except for one stretch at the end of the season. In the playoffs, they didn't, and at the start of the year, they didn't. And this is the big challenge for Edmonton. It's how they're going to get better. Yeah, well, that's going to have to be a huge part of it is, uh, is uh, um, goal suppression. I mean, they've, they've, as you say, they've certainly brought out the best in the offense. They let the NHL in goals by over 20 last year. Yeah. And, you know, but, uh, and it's not like, I mean, Ekholm was the big ad to fix the defense. It's not like they can go out and make another similar move to that. They just can't. And, as it was to do that, they had to, you know, they had to, uh, they had to offload the one big contract that they'd had, or you know, mid contract that they had that was expiring. Yes, a pull Yarvey. Well, they got rid of that at the deadline, and then they filled it in with a long-term commitment also at the deadline. So that's a contract that you know could have been coming due now and creating some space. Well, they've already jumped the gun and done that. Uh, so they've got. Uh, you know, precious little uh, space to dangle. And just, you know, the idea of um, of where these replacements are going to go from. I mean, for instance, Yegor Sharangovich that we just talked about, uh, he's a Belarusian, not a Russian, but he went from New Jersey to Calgary. His season last year was scarcely different from Klim Kost. He's a more established NHLer, a three-year NHLer. But they gave him two years at $3.1 million. He got the Yamamoto contract, right? So, I mean, if Costin's asking, Costin isn't asking for that much, but you can see why he's asking for $2 million. Yeah. And you can see a market. I mean, Toronto gave David Camp four times $2.5 million this morning. Not that he's the same kind of player, but he's a, you know, he's a bottom six player. And all that said, there will still be cheap veterans on the on the market at NHL minimum, like there always are in July and August and PTOs and all that stuff. And uh, unfortunately, that will be the aisle where Ken Holland will be concentrating, uh, barring a, like I just can't see a, a single trade that opens up sufficient cap space to do everything they want internally, let alone plus bring in another big contract. Yeah. So, Bruce, there's some moves that other teams are making. Calgary mm-hmm. seems to be in a state of massive flux. There was a funny story that came out this week. Elliot Friedman reported it that um, during the playoffs la- last year, when the Oilers beat the Flames, he had heard from some of the Oilers that it, a rallying cry for the team was that if they can beat the Flames in these playoffs, it actually might break up the Flames. It might kind of sh- shake that franchise. Crush that, that, there might be some, might have been some knowledge just you know, about Kachuk and Gaudreau maybe being on the fence about staying there. In Edmonton, maybe the players had some inside knowledge about that. In any case, that was kind of the thought, and it, Bruce, it <laughs> evidently worked. I mean, since that time, they've lost their GM, their coach, 
you know, most of their, you know, they've lost Gaudreau, they've lost Kachuk, they've now lost Tyler Toffoli. Noah Hannafin wants out. Um, there's talk that um, Elias Lindholm, they've offered him, you know, the sun and the moon and all their stars in terms uh-huh. of a massive contract. And he's on the fence at this point about taking it. Um, Mikhail Backlund, you know, there, Sean Horkoff yeah. is on the fence about staying there. He's, you know, he's open to a trade. It just seems like it worked. And that franchise is in disarray, total disarray. The key to Zadorov, he's also apparently on the, oh, yeah. on the block. That you know they got some important players, uh, and they got cap space. I mean, in their case, they did have a contract that expired. Milan Lucic, right? They were paying five point yeah. two five million against that six million. The Oilers were paying the rest, so the Oilers got a little break, but Calgary got a massive, you know, infusion of cap space when the contract expired. And that's sort of the you would like to think the normal thing. Well. The orders had set up a situation where they had no contracts expiring. So, like I say, Ken Holland's—it's partly his own doing, because it was he who gave out all these, uh, many of these long-term deals. Uh, but what Calgary can do versus, you know, I mean, I think what Calgary will ultimately wind up doing is something of a rebuild, or at least a retooling, using the word appropriately. Do you know who David Cap scores at the same level as? Kevin Shore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Milan Lucic. Oh, okay. Wow. But maybe he's a really good defensive player, and we can't say he that. Is, and same, he same is with, a good defensive same player. Same with Ross Colton. And, so, and players who can really play defense and play a system. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, I saw Alec Martinez on the trade list, on the daily face-off trade list, saying he had, he had taken a step back this year. Man, that is not the Alex Martinez I saw against the Oilers. That oh, guy. Oh, no kidding! He was he great. Just crushed it. And, and maybe it's a case of the defensive system really fitting a player. Like you're not asking Alex Martinez to trail Connor McDavid all around the offensive zone. You're asking him use your smarts, stay in the defensive slot, and McDavid comes there, shut him down. And that's exactly what he did. And I think actually, Bruce, like in terms of a a trade, like I know Cody Cece has been mentioned. A lot of people are against him. I think he could be the Oilers' Alex Martinez. He, he is a smart, solid positional hockey player who, um, can, if, if you don't ask him to do too much, which is, you know, use your speed, which he doesn't have, if you just say cover the defensive slot and in your corner, CeCe could be that guy for the Oilers. So I'm actually kind of bullish because I do think the Oilers are going to be changing their system. I think CeCe could thrive in a new defensive system. And um, so, yeah, so there's these players, camps, Camp's getting paid. Colton just got traded for. What do you think? What do you think of the? I, I'm kind of glad the. <laughs> I'm glad that the Flames aren't going to be a super competitive team. Um, just one last team for the Oilers have to get to get by to win the Stanley Cup, and um, that's that. That works for me. Yeah, I know. We just got to deal with them. Two expansion teams and uh, and the Kings. And, and the Kings. The Kings what did you have think been of doing the mighty, mighty work in the, in LA, and they they've made four trades in the time that Edmonton's made zero, and this is one of the reasons that people are getting antsy. Okay, but the, they made uh, they made the big trade to dump Cal Peterson. Yeah, the last two years of Cal Peterson's contract, a uh, five million a year, they took on. Um, Two million dollar cap retention of uh, Ivan Provorov, which also has two years to run. So that basically carried up three million for two years, and then they turned around and they gave a three million dollar raise uh, to uh, the big D-man Gavrikov that they got from Columbus for two years, and so he got a two-year five point eight seven five, I think it was contract Gavrikov. Yeah. And I think this is the wave of the future, David. I think we're going to start seeing more of guys getting big money for shorter terms. And just so you can have expiring contracts, so you've got some options. You know, like Oilers got all these eight, seven, and five-year, four-year deals on the books, and none of them expire. And, I mean, expiring contract, I mean, everybody seems to think of that being the worst possible thing. This guy's deal is up. Well, when his deal is up, even if he goes... You now have cap space to hire someone else to do that job, or you have cap space to hire three other people to to do attack the problem differently. And 
in the case of uh, L.A., they broke even on that uh, in terms of at least the raise for Gavrikov. And now they got a good solid D-man where before the deadline, they didn't have that solid D-man. So that was that was a good good deal for them. They got rid of Sean Dursey in a trade that created some some uh, cap space for them and opened up room for a, a can't-miss supposedly prospect named Brant Clark. And this is where having a can't-miss pro- prospect like uh, Brant Clark, as opposed to uh, we're not sure if he's going to miss prospect like Philip Broberg, is, you know, advantage L.A. You know, he was a high, high draft pick, but then again, so was Broberg. Uh, but they've got the guy ready to move into that place. Now, that's that's not even a transaction. And then they've gone ahead and done the uh, uh, the deal yesterday for uh, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and I, I think L.A. lost that trade. I think they gave up too much for Dubois. Uh, and then they gave up a big salary to Dubois, eight times 8.5. He got the Leon deal. Uh, 68 million over the maximum eight years, and they paid Winnipeg with three NHL players right off of their roster, plus a second-round draft pick for Pierre-Luc Dubois. It's a huge gamble by LA. On the other hand, when you think of lining up against them next year, and they got Kopitar on one line and Deneau on another, and Dubois on the third, who's going to check all those guys? Bruce, it doesn't scare me. No, Kopitar. I know Kopitar feasted on the power play and even strength Kopitar did not strike me as a, he struck me as a spent force against the others. Philip Deneau, he's a good player, but he's also getting older mm-hmm. and he's never been much of a, you know, really much of a scorer. Oh. Pierre-Luc Dubois. I've never seen him good. You know, maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I could be completely wrong about this player mm-hmm. because I haven't seen him enough to have a credible opinion. But when I have seen him, I've never noticed him. I've never thought, like, he's not like Mark Shifley, who you notice, mm-hmm. or um, Nikolai Ehlers, who you notice, or uh, Josh Morrissey. Like, he's not like one of the top players in the Jets who's just like, when that guy's on the ice, he's good. Dubois? I mean, it just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure he's, he, he seems to put consistently put up points at a decent rate. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. And, and I'll tell you what, I noticed, Alex, I have follow in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I noticed Gabe Villardi mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And I just, yeah, they I just gave think, up a lot. Wow. Like, um, are you sure yeah. that that Dubois is going to be better than Villardi going forward? Uh, and and yeah. the amount of money you're paying Dubois. So I'm glad they signed him to that big contract as an Oilers yeah. fan. Like, I don't think, like, some people, the hope is, well, now they got Dubois, they won't be chasing after Drysaddle in a couple of years. No, that's not true. You know, Gavrikov's contract will be off the books, for instance. And teams can find a way to clear out cap space to bring in Leon Dreisaitl. That there is going to be a huge market for Leon Dreisaitl, no matter what other teams do, because they will find a way, if they can, to bring him in. And if he wants to go, that's going to happen. It's as simple as that. You know, the orders have to win for that not to happen. And they've got to figure out a way to do that. That's the that's the whole key. But uh, anyway, I, I just I'm a, I I shook my I was glad to see that trade because I think the the personally from what I've seen it could be wrong. They've tied up a ton of money in a player mm-hmm. who is okay but not great. Not not a real difference maker that I've ever seen. Yeah, well, like I say, I think they lost the trade and and uh, I think they'll miss Iafolo especially and also uh, uh, Velarde. Uh, but they got the they got the big center. This was what uh, where uh, Quinton Byfield was supposed to be coming up and into the uh, scene, and he's been a, a a slow developer. But I mean, Pierre Luc Dubois is. Uh, let's just have a look here. Six two two oh five. He's twenty four years old. Actually, he's twenty five. He turned twenty five this week, and he has three sixty point seasons under his belt, and. He's still, you know, still sort of scratching the, uh, as far as he goes. Like, if he does blossom in L.A., look out, is I guess what I'm saying. If he doesn't, well, then they will probably point to this trade as being uh, uh, something that uh, that held them back. And it's fascinating to watch what they're doing in L.A. And, this, you know, this is a team we know well and placed, faced in the playoffs two years in a row. 
So to see them making all these deals in in uh, in short order is uh, it's interesting to watch. But they they have got uh, a little more flexibility than do the orders, and and I mean give the GM there some credit for making that Peterson deal work. Kopitar's even strength scoring was still strong this last year. So maybe mm-hmm. I just saw him bad. Like, I just didn't, like, I, I just remember Anzi Kopitar when he was a f- monster on the ice. Yes. Didn't strike me he was that way this year in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, Adrian Kempe. Now. Adrian Kempe was that. Like, he's just mm-hmm. a, he's just this terrible, offensive yeah. force. Um, but not Kopitar. But so we'll see. He'll be uh, 36 this coming season, and um, um, good. <laughs> That's good. He has um, 10 straight 50-point uh, seasons, and, in fact, he's had over 50 points every season of his career except the lockout season of 2013 when he scored 42 in 47 games. This guy is a consistent offensive force, and I know I would argue is a consistent defensive force, Yes, and Kopitar, you know, he's got the rep as a two-way player, and you know, like he's in the Selkie voting. He finished fifth in the Selkie this year, sixth the year before. You know, like he's considered one of the top two-way forwards in the game, face-off ace. Like they got a lot going on there down the middle in L.A., and they got a lot going on in defense. And if this Brent Clark turns out to be a big, that's that's going to be a tough team to beat. The Oilers beat them the last two years, and they were tough then, and they are, you know. They're changing, so this is uh, this is what's got people nervous. I'm sure they're. This is why the orders. This is why the orders have to get better on defense, Bruce. Like it's as simple as that. The orders have a better attack than anyone, and and it's considerably better. And it's not going to change. They've got to play better defensive hockey, and it's as simple as that. And I hope that's. I, I suspect that's sunk in with with the with everybody in the entire organization. Um, Colorado made some moves, Ryan Johansson and Colton, Ryan Johansson, um, kind of an older version of Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, pretty mediocre player last year. I, I was glad to see the trade. I'm glad like that was as good as they could do, um, for Colorado. He's a slower player. Um, Colton, if I, I don't know enough about his game to have a, a credible comment, but, um, I, I like if Colorado. I, I just it's new hook. I can see why they moved new hook. He didn't look like he was going to make it as a top six forward in the NHL, and probably isn't a checker unless he decides to. Like he looks like Andrew Cogliano part two maybe. Um, so maybe he'll be he'll change his game and become that player. So I can see why they moved him, even though he's got some really real flash and speed to his game and some real offensive moves, but. Colorado does seem to be held back by injury um, and by salary cap issues that, that have come up on that team. So we'll see. You know, that said, if Bowen Byram's healthy and Makar's ever healthy all year long and McKinnon's healthy, that team's going to be just another – it's it's going to be tough for a long, long time because of Makar and McKinnon. They're such yeah. fantastic hockey players. So. And um, Rantanen. And Rantanen. And Rantanen. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. I keep Rantan. forgetting about that guy. All he does is finish such in the top 10 hockey. scorers, you know. Yeah, he's such a great player. He really is. Colorado's the team that continues to scare me. I think the owners can beat Vegas. Like, I really do. It's just a matter of sorting out the defensive issues that the, the Edmonton owners had last year. And um, hopefully, hopefully they're not as wedded to man-to-man defense as Bobby Knight used to be. Uh at Indiana, like it's funny because it, it, some coaches are really wedded to their system. They think mm-hmm. it's almost like a moral cause, like you're going to play man-to-man defense or you're, you're going to die trying. And I, I don't take Woodcroft as that. I see him as someone who's going to tinker with things and, and figure out way, something that's going to work. Um, and um, I think the owners are, are, are going to change up how they how they play hockey. Um, on, how about, Dave, how about Dave Manson? Well, he might be a little bit more of a Bobby Knight type, but I don't know. I don't know about that. So we'll see. You know, and Bruce, the difference, Brad Clark had, he's a tremendous, he just screaming hell of an offensive player in the OHL last year, like two points a game. 
but the the kings did in some ways what the orders probably should think about doing. They moved out a veteran defenseman in Jersey and to make room for a young player who's ready. Well, Philip Broberg is ready. And I, I do think it wouldn't be crazy for the orders to move out Kulak or Kulak, move out Kulak as well as he played in the playoffs, move him out, make way for the young player, go in that direction. And um, if they did that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be complaining. Yeah, Brent Clark, what a season he had, eh? Play, played uh, the maximum nine games in L.A. without losing, changing his contract status. He played the maximum five games in the AHL that they can do on a rehab assignment from the NHL. Then he went to Team Canada and won the gold medal. I think, didn't he win both gold medals? The one Was he in not the injured, though, Bruce? And then they Team had... Did he, they, did he play much for Team Canada? I'm not sure that he did. Um, let me just check that because... Page open for that, and then oh, he, no, came, he played no, no, seven games, eight points. I'm, I'm, I'm incorrect. He did, yeah, yeah, and he was a big uh, thing there. And then they sent him down to the OHL for the second half, and like you say, he scored two points a game, and uh, you know, and he won the world junior. Like he had such a range and wealth of experience last year, and he succeeded basically at every level. Two points and now a game he's in the ready. playoffs too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, and Sean Dursey was weak defensively. He was a weak link, and they were looking to move him, I think. I mean, the fans were getting on his case. And there was, we, we can recall plays, I think. I can recall some plays where he flubbed it against the Oilers. Mm-hmm. And um, he was getting a lot of heat. So as well as he had played in the season before against the Oilers, he had taken a step back. You know, he's kind of their Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, I think. Mm-hmm. That kind of defenseman. And Caleb Jones, by the way, is not being qualified in Chicago. Um, and Ethan Bear isn't being in Vancouver either. I don't think he got he got hurt, and I don't think did he sign because uh, his contract's expiring. Okay, and I don't think that because he's hurt, it doesn't oblige a team to sign him to a new deal. It obliges him to honor the existing deal, but his deal is up, and he got racked up at the Worlds and real dirty, pointless, uh, vicious oh, yeah. play at the very end of a game where. Uh, 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 Kasperi Kapanen, I think it was from Finland, just ran ran him with no time on the clock and racked him Ugh. up. Just, yeah, really, really dumb thing to do. And so that that could affect Bears' whole career, really. Bruce, let's finish off with a brief discussion of the MVP vote. Connor McDavid got, I think, a, out of 195 voters, he got 194 first place votes, except for one Seth. Rorabaugh of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, mm-hmm. who had Connor McDavid fifth. Mm-hmm. I, I read one comment that suggested today maybe Rorabaugh mistakenly got the order wrong, like he filled out his ballot incorrectly. Upside down? Upside down. Uh-huh. Which, okay. which, if you have that many voters and the ballot's at all unclear, that's a definite possibility. But mm-hmm. otherwise, his ballot, come on. What was well, he doing? And I he hasn't explained himself either, which I think no. is... It's infuriating, but it's also kind of cool to take as much heat as he's taken and not say a word. I kind of, I kind of like that on a certain level. Just made my statement. That's it. I made my vote. I'm not explaining mm-hmm. it. I kind of like that on one level, but on the other hand, I think he, I think to to maintain credibility as a writer, he's got mm-hmm. to explain himself. And yeah. uh, well, someone was who looked it up, and I have not had a chance to verify this, but I, I read on Twitter, so it must be true. That last year, the same voter left both McDavid and Matthews, who won the MVP, off of his top five. Did not give a cast either one of them in the top five, and they finished one two. I think last year, certainly Matthews got the got the heart. So it's not just McDavid. This guy has a unique take on hockey. Is what, what I think, and I, I I'm visualizing. Um, Lots of spreadsheets, but I could be totally, totally uh, out to lunch on that. But there's something, it's just a way that he considers the game differently. And maybe he's looking at some some uh, statistical here's summary. What I th- or, hmm? Here's my guess, Bruce. He's placing, it's that old thing that instead of picking the most outstanding player, it's the most valuable to your team. 
Mm-hmm. And he's he's taking that to the nth degree. He's taking that further than it should ever be taken. Like he's hung up on those words. He's hung up on that concept. So this is how he, he figures Kirill Kaprizov was the best player last year. Mm-hmm. Is that he, because without Kirill Kaprizov, the, the wild are nowhere. You know, they're just out in the wild. Whereas Matthews and McDavid are just two of many good, one of many good players on their team. And this year it's the same thing. Like David Pasternak, without him, the Bruins are just, they're not anywhere. And Jamie Robertson and yeah, Dallas. Yeah, the Bruins Perry weren't any good without Pasternak. The Bruins would have sucked. They probably would have missed the playoffs without Pasternak. <laughs> well, that's what I'm thinking. It's the only explanation that I can think of that he's, that wow. he's, that he's, that he could, that he could be going in the direction that he, that he's gone. But I do think if he's going to be credit, like he, he is a laughing stock, frankly, yeah. of mm-hmm. the fifth place. World. That's ridiculous. Fifth he's, place. Yeah. He's got to, it's, it's, he's, he, um, he's got to come off the mountaintop and tell us what his great thoughts were. And, um, that was really fascinating. But David scored 25 more points than any player in the last 25 years. And he's fifth on your ballot. And, and he was, maybe a it's solid your ballot. Player. That's a little out of whack here, bud. Yeah. Anyway. And then on the all-star team, different voter, uh, McDavid got 191 first place votes and one second place vote. And the other first place vote went to Mika Zibanejad, who had one first place vote and one second place vote. So that was done by he got Russ. two votes, but one of them was a first all-star vote for a guy who had 92 points. And I mean, he's Russ a fine Cohen. player, but first yeah. all-star? No, come on. Russ Cohen of <laughs> Sportsology did that, Bruce. Uh, and I wonder if Sportsology has anything to do with astrology, because uh, that's how you would come up with a vote like that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. The McDavid thing's a shame on the, on the, um, uh-huh. the, because the unanimous, it's nice like to have that place oh, sure. in history as being the unanimous choice. That's mm-hmm. that's okay. significant, right? And he he screwed it up with his with his um, wonky thinking, but such well, is life. Hurt, hurting that's like hurting cats, right? Getting all the professional hockey writers on the same page on anything, and there's always going to be a rebel, with or without a cause, somewhere in the mix. And the sad truth is that in the history of the Hart Trophy, there's only been two unanimous winners ever. One was Wayne Gretzky in 1981-82, and one was Connor McDavid in 2021. So the Oilers had the only two unanimous uh, Hart Trophy winners in history. Like, it's hard to get it done because it's hard to get all these guys to line up. In 83-84, Wayne Gretzky led the NHL in goals, assists, points, uh, even strength, power play, shorthanded goals, points. Uh, he led the league in shooting percentage. Uh, he was, you know, uh, just completely dominant. He scored 205 points in 74 games. And the six games he missed, the Oilers got pound, had a five-game losing streak. Like everything said, this was a, by far the best player. He got 60 out of 62 first-place votes. And each of Brian Troche and Rod Langway got a first-place vote for the Hart Trophy in Wayne Gretzky's greatest season. Like, you know, and were people up in arms then? Oh, yeah, probably. Uh, you know, thinking... Not so much. It's, I, they didn't have social media then, so the well, outrage machine of social media, so... Yeah, yeah, we all I just remember it, we thinking, all how in the ourselves. hell could you not vote for him, was my saying then, and I'd say the same thing to our, to our uh, uh, fellow in Pittsburgh that today, but, you know... It just, it's its hard to get them all. And the Oilers fans, they got plenty, you know, they talk about Eastern bias and all this kind of stuff. Well, they, uh, uh, the Oilers have had 13 Hart Trophy winners in 43 seasons. That's almost one out of every three seasons in, in a 21 to 32 team league. I think we're doing pretty well. I think we complain about a lot more than we really need to be complaining about because we've had it pretty darn good with, uh, uh, you know, so many high-end players, but, you know, each of Gretzky, Messier, McDavid, Drysaddle won at least one Hart Trophy along the way. And that, you know, it's, I, I just don't see a problem here. I personally am going to celebrate the fact that the Oilers had another MVP and if one guy out of 196 got it wrong, well, so what? That's just an anomaly. 
uh, you know, it's like saying, well, we won the game 12 to one, but God damn it. We should have won 12 nothing. Shouldn't have let that one in. You know, I mean, that's it. Just say it's good enough. He got the heart. Fair enough. You can't account for one, one out of 200 people or like one out of 200, (laughs) like 10 out of 200 probably believe Elvis is alive. Right. So (laughs) obviously one out of 200 is going to vote McDavid fifth. So Uh there you go. Bruce, let's leave it there. I got to run. So thanks for talking today. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult Hockey Podcast.